The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masichet Sota has been dedicated by our good friends and Talmud, Mr. Haimi and Dina Dana, for the success of their children and especially the Fuashirema Moshe Ben Dina. we begin today's and we are three, four, five lines from the bottom. We are uh, in the middle of the famous Ma'aseh of Elisha Navi, when uh, Elisha went and he sweetened the waters of the city of Yericho. Uh, as a result, uh, the water sellers, the people that were selling water were upset at Elisha because they ruined, he ruined their business. They were selling water. Now that he sweetened the uh, salty waters, so they didn't have anything to uh, sell anymore, so uh, the Gemara now tells us exactly. So they went to uh, Elisha. They told him Alekireya, Alekireya. They called him the bold one because uh, either he was actually bold, and they were just trying to talk to him derogatorily, or because it was saying that you know, it's like a bold person loses his hair. So he said, "We lost our panasa because of you. We're bolded. We have no panasa as a result of <coughs> you sweetening the waters." In any event, comes the Gemara and says, So it says, Elisha turned around and he saw them, Hashem, and then he cursed them. So the Gemara says, What did he see? Amarav, Ra'amamash. Now he actually just looked at them. Wherever the rabbis put their eyes on somebody, it either leads to death, or it leads to poverty. If you remember, we looked at the Masikat Hagigah as well, that when uh, Eliezer, Eved Avram, went to find a wife for Yitzhak Abinu, so it says he went to the house of Bituel, and they were giving him a hard time when he was trying to take Rifka. So uh, Eliezer comes along and says, listen, give me the girl now, or if not, ifne al yamin or al semol, or I'll go to the right or I'll go to the left. So the Ben Ishai explains, what does it mean I go to the right and go and go to the left? What does it mean to say that? We have a pasuk that says, Orich yamin bimina, ubismola, oshel vechavod. Orich yamin, long life is on the right, and oshel vechavod is on the left. And therefore he was telling, he was giving him a warning. Listen, if you play games with me, if al yamin, which means I'll, I'll start having to deal with your Yamim now. I have to deal with your Yerichut Yamim. And if you don't, we continue to play games. And that's exactly what happened. Because in that episode, Bituel ended up dying, as we know. And Lavan ended up losing all his money. So it says, Wherever the rappers put their eyes on somebody, or Mita, or Oni. Either death, or uh, uh, poverty. And that's what happened over here with the story of Elisha. Ushmuel Amar, Ra'az, Shekulan, Nitabela, Bem, Imam, 
that when he looked at them, he actually saw the source of where these children came from. Actually, all of their mothers conceived on Yom Kippurim. That means they were from a bad seed, that their mothers conceived with them. Which means, he saw that their uh, hairstyle was in the style of the Goyim, uh, like the Amoraim, the Goyim. So that's what he saw in them. He saw that they did not have even any moisture of any mitzvot. Which means, uh, all these were contributing factors why they deserve to die. Number one, they didn't have Kiddushat Yisrael, because they were born, you know, in a, in a Tum'ah way, on Yom Kippur. Nor did they dress like the Jewish people, just they have the styles of the Goyim in their hair. Nor did they have any mitzvah to protect us. So when they had Yishas, all these things over there, it was, uh, uh, they were doomed uh, to their uh, punishment. The Dilma. You're saying they, I mean, Elisha did not see any mitzvah in them. Fine, but maybe in their descendants there was going to be people that are going to do mitzvah. Why did he kill them? Which means maybe they themselves were not so valuable, but maybe in their descendants they had some mitzvah. So comes the Gemara and says, Amar, the Bil Hazar, Lo Bam, he saw them and all the future generations, nothing positive was going to come out of them. But it's and two bears came out of the wilderness, out of the forest, and attacked 42 of these children. Which means, one rabbi says it was just a miracle, and one rabbi says, no, the, the story with the bears was actually a miracle within a miracle. How? So he was a man, the Amar Nes, Ya Arhava, Dubim Lohavu. Which means, there was a forest there already. So the miracle was that the bears came out of the forest, and they came and attacked those children. However, There was no yar, there was no forest, and there were no bears. So it was a double miracle that God provided the forest, as well as the bears that came out of it. So the Gibbara comes along and says, What do you need to create the forest for? The point is that bears came out of the wilderness and attacked. What do you have to create a forest to make it, uh, you know, a miracle within a miracle? Just make bears. Comes Gibbara and says, because bears are only confident when they're in their natural habitat. And therefore, when they know that they're in their forest, they can run back to their forest, to their safe place, so they have confidence to go attack. But if, they don't, if they're not in their habitat, they don't have that strength. So therefore, part of the miracle was to create a natural environment that the bears are used to, in order for them to be uh, you know, confident and strong in their uh, attack of these uh, of these uh, children. That's what it says, Debi'ite, which means without having their home place, they are fearful. That's why it says by one, one, one of the Makot in Misraim, Makat Arov, says that God brought all a uh, bunch of wild animals throughout Egypt. And the Pasuk says, Vegam ha'adama asher aleha. And also the ground that they are underneath. So the Mephashim come along and say that when God brought the plague of Arov and Mesraim, not only did He bring the wild animals, but He brought the land that they are used to. Which means each animal is used to a certain topography, a certain smell of the earth, a certain texture of the earth, and that gives them the confidence to attack. So the miracle of Arov was a double miracle. Not only was there wild animals, but the Gamma Adamashir Aliyah. God brought all the different types of earth. Uh, that the animals would walk on, that they were comfortable with, no, that would cause them to attack more. Comes to us, Amar Abhani, Rabbi Hanina. Bishvil, Arba'a, Ushtayim, Kurbanot, Shikri, Balak, 
מלך מואב הובקעו מישראל ארבעים ושתיים ילדים. And the merit of the 42 sacrifices that Balak brought in order to curse the Jewish people through the prophet Bilaam. So what happened as a result, his curse did come true to a certain extent. He wasn't able to affect them uh, during his generation, but later on, that uh, bad intention of Balak did seek fruition by killing 42 of these uh, Jewish children. Comes the Gemara and says, "Ini, we have a contradiction." Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rab, Le'olam Yasuk Adam Batron Mitzvot, Ve'Af Al Pi Shelolishma, Shemetok Shelolishma Balishma, which is a person should always serve God, even if he's serving God Shelolishma, not with the right intention. Because initially, even though he has the wrong intentions, from the wrong intention Shelolishma Balishma, he will eventually come to Lishma. Why do we know this? Because Shemischar Arba'im Mushlam Korbanot Shikrit Balak Melech Moav. In the merit that the 42 korbanot that Balak brought in order to curse the Jewish people, obviously that was not Lishem Shamayim, Zachav Yatstam Mimenu Rut. Who ended up coming out of Balak? Well, Balak was from Moab. Who came out of him? Rut. She Yatstam Mimenu Shalomot, which eventually Shalomot Miller came out. She Katuv Be Elif Olot Yaleh Shalomot. So you see, Shemitok Shalolish Ma'ab Balish Ma'ab. When Balak started off Shalolish Ma'ab, but eventually came from him, Shalom Ma'ab, who eventually bring thousands of Korbanot. The Beit HaMikdash, V'amar B'yosef Ben-Honi, Rut B'ito Shel Eglon Beno Shel Balak Aita. Which means, Rut actually was the daughter of Eglon, who was the son of Balak. So therefore you see what? That it's not, uh, uh, it's something good came out of it. Which means you see that not the death of the 42 children. The Gemara is saying that actually Shalom HaMelech was a product of the Shalom Nishma in uh, Balak. So comes the Gemara and says, you're right, but Ta'avato Miya Liklalahave. But again, the Ta'avad, the lust of Balak was when he brought those Korbanot was Liklalah. And therefore it came true. Which means true, there was a Shalom Nishma. So from the Shalom Nishma came something good. Because he did bring Korbanot, but Paraman, his intention was he wanted Jews to die. He wanted to curse them. As a result of those Korbanot that he brought, eventually he brought the death of those 42 children uh, years later in the time of Elisha. That's the understanding. Which we now you have to understand. Not that that's a, a reward uh, to Balak. It's not a reward to Balak that he brought these uh, Korbanot. Which means... Since his kavana and his effort was to destroy, and that's why he brought the korban, it brought it brought, it brought a fruit, which means there was it came to fruition uh, later on. Which even though it didn't work in his time, it worked for a later time that Elisha was able to kill the forty-two children. Which means the taava that he had, that lust came to fruition. So you see, you learn from me a great uh, thing that even an intention of a person doesn't go for waste. He intended it, and he did an action by bringing the korban for it. Eventually, that bad intention did bear fruit at a uh, later uh, time. Comes the Gemara continues by Yomer and Shaira Elisha. Which means the children told Elisha. They said, "Listen." Uh, they told them uh, like this. Or oh, actually, the people of the city of Yericho, they told them like this. The, 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 the city that we're living in is very good. We're living in a very good city. Now, the strange thing is, how can they say they were living in a very good city? The water was terrible. The water was undrinkable. And these guys are saying what? That the city that we're living in is very, very good. Right, since the water was terrible. And it's the, 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 the land destroys its inhabitants as a result of it. 
What's so good about the city that the people were saying it's a great city? For me, you learn a famous rule that wherever a person lives, the, the place where he lives is charming to him. And that's a, a miracle that Borei Olam does. Otherwise, it would be so much overcrowding. Everybody would only go to, 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 to certain places, right? Only the most beautiful places in the world. But you put a guy even in a place where the, the water stinks. And you have the, 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 the people are dying. But you ask the guy, what do you think about the place where you live? He loves it. That's a miracle of Borei Olam. That what? That every person, everybody loves the place that they live. Actually, three things that a person finds favorite, and that is really Gizram and Ashamayin, that that's true. Every person loves where he lives. Which means, God puts the favor of a wife on the husband. The husband loves the wife. Even though she might be ugly to somebody, and she might not have the right, uh, whatever it is. But uh, to the husband, God puts a certain siyat. Uh, the husband will find uh, favor in his wife. That's why it says when uh, at the wedding, you're allowed to come along and tell the hatan, kalan hasuda. She's a beautiful hat, uh, uh, she's a beautiful bride. And the Gemara said, what do you mean? You're lying, maybe she's not beautiful. So the Gemara said, no, if he took her, so to him she is beautiful. There's a charm that goes on to him. And the Gemara says, thirdly, vehen mikah and mikaho. That, that what, there's a certain charm on a product that you buy, Everybody likes the item that they buy, which is the item that the person purchases a suit, let's say. You come along and say, ah, what an ugly suit this is. But the guy who buys it, to him, he finds favor. When he's the item that he invests in, to him, he likes it. And that's again part of the divine uh, decree that the world should continue uh, in, a proper, in a proper way. Comes again, and says, which means during the life of Elisha, he got sick, three different sicknesses. The reason why he got sick because of the sin that he caused the bears to come and attack these uh, children that had treated him derogatorily, even though they were worthy for um, uh, Onish. However, it seems that Elisha gave them a, 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 a punishment that was not according to the normal way. They couldn't just kill them. But to bring bears, that was considered a, an unnatural death. So therefore, Elisha got punished for causing them a mita mishuna. He caused them tsa'ar aguf. And if a measure for measure, they, he also got tsa'ar aguf. And it says, And secondly, because as we're going to see now, he pushed away his loyal servant, and how loyal he was, but he pushed away his servant, Gehazi, with two hands, instead of trying to mekarev, and try to bring him close. And we'll see now, And the third sickness was actually the sickness that did him in, where he actually died. Well, hala is one sickness. Cholio is the second sickness. Asher Yamutbo was the actual third sickness that did him in, that he actually died from. The person in life should always push away with the left hand, which means when you're giving rebuke and you're trying to chastise somebody, always do it with the weaker hand. However, when you want to bring somebody closer to Torah and you always try to bring him back with the right hand, which is the more prominent hand. So says, Not like Elisha the prophet that pushed away his servant Yahazi with two hands. Not like Rabbi Yoshua ben Pedahiyah, like he pushed away one of his students with two hands. I'm going to explain the story. Elisha, my, what's the story of Elisha? Tichtiv. Vayomen Naaman. Naaman is the one that was the general of Aram. He had leprosy all over his body. Elisha cured him. After Elisha cured Naaman, Naaman wanted to offer Elisha 
all sorts of gifts and money. He says, Please take these two uh, 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 talents of silver. And then what happened? Elisha refused. What happened is Gehazi went and chased Naaman and he took the money, even though it was against Elisha's will. And then Elisha rebukes Gehazi and he tells him like this, and Elisha tells Gehazi, you don't think I was with you? You don't think I know what you did, that you took the money? When Naaman turned his uh, head, when he was on his chariot leaving. You don't think I know exactly, you don't think my spirit was with you and I saw that you took it? Did you go take the money, and the clothes, and the olives, and the grapes? Did you go back and you took all the, all the money? So the Gemara said, what do you mean? Did he take all that money? He lists eight different items that he took. Did he actually take all these items? Which means, the Gemara says, You're right, Gehazi took some money and he took the clothes, but he didn't take all those other items. At that point, that they were learning Masechet Shabbat. One of the Masech, one of the Perakim in Masechet Shabbat is called Shemona Shiratim. That means Gehazi and um, Elisha. They were learning Torah. They were learning Masechet Shabbat. Perak Shemona Shiratim. Amar no. So uh, Elisha tells Gehazi, Rasha, Hegia et Nitol Schar Shemona Shiratim. Which means, why well, you think just because you learned Masechet Shabbat Perak Shemona Shiratim, so now you want to cash in your reward now? That's why you went to take the money in order so you could buy for yourself eight items? Because you learned Shemona Shiratim, so you want to take the money so you could buy eight different uh, items? Is, 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 is this what you did over here? You took the money over here? So that's why he mentioned eight things. So what did he tell him? And the leprosy of Naaman should go on you and your children forever. And the Pasuk confirms this. There were four people that were actually Mitzuraim, they had leprosy. And who was that? The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yohanan Zegehazi Ushloshet Banav Gehazi and his three children Vayavo Elisha Damesik That says Elisha then went to Damascus because that's where Gehazi went. So now Elisha, the rabbi, tried to go bring him back. You know, bring him back to Teshuvah. So So he tried to bring him back to make the Shuvah. No Chazar, but he was not interested. Amar no Chazor Becha. Amar no Kach Mekubbenani Becha. I learned from you already. Kol mi shachata veyachtiet arabim emus pekim biyadol laasut Shuvah. Anybody that sins and causes other people to sin as well, God does not give him an opportunity to make the Shuvah. So because my Abad, what did he do? Which we know what he did by taking the money. But it says of it, it seems he made a sin that he caused the Sibur to make a sin, which means Gehazi was a Choteo Mahati Ta'am. What exactly did Gehazi do? Amre, Even Sho'evet Tala Lo Lehatat Yerovam. Ve'amido Ben Shamay Va'aris. He took an Evin Sho'evet, that's a magnet. And he put these magnets on the Egel that Yerovam bin Evat built, Zara. And by putting the magnets in these different places, it caused the Egel to elevate off the ground. So he's playing around with magnets to, as if to give power to the Abu Nazara of uh, Yerubam, and therefore the people went after it. So therefore he's considered a Hotel Mahati. And some say actually he took a certain one of the names of the Kadosh Baruch Hu, and he put it in the mouth of the Egel Hazav of Yerubam, and therefore it started to talk, it became animated, one of the Shemot of Tum'ah. 
Da'ita omer it. And what was it saying? Anochi velo yielecha. It started to talk. Anochi Hashem elokek anochi yielecha. In the Mahaimik Adamli, and some say Rabbanan dacham mekemed that he dissuaded the rabbis from coming to the shiur of Elisha. Elisha used to give a shiur every day. Gazi would sit outside the uh, room where his rabbi was giving the shiur, and the people would come and what would Gazi tell them? There's no more seats. Go home, or the shiur is canceled. So he was hotel marati would cause people not to come learn Torah by Elisha. How do we know that? Dichtiv. Because after Elisha sent Gehazi away, the Pasuk says, The students tell Elisha, the place that we're learning, there's no room, it's too crowded. What does that mean? Must be until that point, it wasn't crowded. Why? Because the students weren't coming to the Shi'ur. Must be why that Gehazi was turning them away. Only after Gehazi left, did the students come along and say to their rabbi that the place that we're learning is very tight. So we learn from her that he was indeed a choteh umachati eta'am. And therefore, but there's claims against Elisha that maybe he was too strict on Gehazi by you know, giving him leprosy for the rest of his life. So the Gebarah says that that was maybe too strict. He should have been a little more tolerant to try to bring him back. Now the Gebarah says another story. Yeshua ben Perachiyah, what's the story of Yeshua ben Perachiyah? Kedahaba kakatid yanayim al-Kalabana. There was a certain king called Yanayamelech, who was not only the king, but he wanted to also become the Kohen Gadol. But he was not Na'ui to be the Kohen Gadol, so the rabbis were against him. So what did Janai do? Yet I went and killed all the rabbis. So it says, Shimon ben Shatah atminu ahteh. Which means, Yanai was married to a lady called Shlomsiona Malka. Shlomsiona Malka was the sister of Shimon ben Shatah, who was one of the great Tanaim. So what happened? <coughs> Shlomsion the queen hid her brother. Shimon ben Shattah in Jerusalem. So therefore, her, her, her husband Yanai will not be able to kill him. Now, he ran away to Alexandria in Mislaim. After there was peace, which means Yanai stopped killing the rabbis. So Shimon ben Shattah sends a message to Yeshua ben Perachiah in order to tell him that the coast is clear, he can come back to Jerusalem. So he says, Mini Yerushalayim from me, Jerusalem, the holy city. To you, Alexandria of Egypt. My sister. Which means, my husband is in your midst. And I am uh, sitting desolate. Which means, uh, I was the head of the Sanhedrin. So Shimon is saying, I don't understand. Alexandria, my husband is in your midst, which means our our leader is in your midst. And we are sitting here in Jerusalem desolate, which he was giving him a hint, come back. Which means the coast is clear, everything is fine. He was giving him a remez, again, my husband is in Alexandria, and we are in Jerusalem, meaning desolate. He was trying to tell him the coast is clear, you can come back. Amar, he said, Shema mina, Abel shalma. So Yehoshua ben Perachia said, must be his peace. So therefore, he decided to go back. on the way back to Jerusalem, Iklal la So he stayed in a certain hotel. Yehoshua ben Perachia. Kam kamayu bikara shapir. The hostess in the hotel was very nice and cordial to the rabbi and his students. Avdeh le yikara She gave the rabbi great honor and kavod. Yati v'kam shtabach. So after the rabbi praised her and said. How wonderful is this hostess? Now he meant to say, how wonderful are her deeds? Because she's very nice. But one of the students of Yoshua Mpadaya came along and said to them, She's okay, but her eyes are round. Oh, Amar Le Rasha. 
That's what you're involved in? You're looking at the ladies? Which is, I wasn't praising her, uh, uh, her beauty. I was praising her, her, her ways. And then you come along now and talk about her eyes, uh, how, that they're round, that she's not so pretty. Who's talking about her beauty? Therefore he felt that he was like, uh, uh, you know, looking at a woman. And not only that, but it's even worse, because he was suspecting his rabbi of looking at a woman as well. Which is when the rabbi said, well, she's a nice lady. So he's already saying, well, she's okay, but her eyes are round. You think I'm thinking about what you're thinking of also? So, apik, arba, me'ash, purevish, if they take out 400 shofarot, that's used to take out Shofarot and used to put somebody in Hiram. And it says he put him in Hiram. It doesn't mean actually 400. That's a way of saying that they put him in Hiram. So every day the student came to the rabbi to ask for Mehila, but the Biyushon Parah was very strict. He did not accept him. One day Biyushon was reading Kirat Shema. So the student came in front of him. This time, Rabbi Yeshua's intention was to accept him, which means he was going to finally give him mechila. But he was in the middle of Kiyachima, so he wanted to tell the student to wait until he finishes. So he put his hand in front of him like this. They pushed him like this. He meant to tell him, wait, wait till I finish Kiyachima. However, Sabar, he misinterpreted the hand signal and thought that he's pushing him away again. So what did he do? Azad Zakaf Limitai, when he took a brick, Pelachani, when he worshipped it for Abu Dazara. That's it, he went off the, the deep end. Amar Leh, Azad Becha. So the Biyoshua then told him after he finished, make the Juba. Amar Leh, Kach Mekum Belan, Mekach Kola Choteh, Umachatit Arabim, Em Aspikim Biyado, Laasot, Shuba. It seems this fellow, this student over here, not only sinned, but he caused other people to sin as well. Damar Mor, how do we know what this student did? Kishef, he went into magic and sorcery. Ve'esit, ve'ediyah, he caused the Jewish people to go off the path. Ve'ehtitis, and caused them to go down the wrong path. Our tradition tells us this student actually was Yeshu and Nusri, Yemachshem of Zichro, which was the student of Rabbi Yoshua. And all this came because what? Because Rabbi Yoshua was too strict with him. He should have tried to bring him back with the right hand, which is he pushed him away, fine, but he should have brought him back since he was too strict. So that already caused the trouble. So there again, the Gabbara proves from two situations, from the story of Elisha and Gehazi, and from the story of Yoshua and Perahiyah, and his student, that although the, the right is supposed to, the left is supposed to push away, but the right is supposed to bring back. Yetzer, Tinok, Veisha. These three items are going to Yetzer Ara. That's specifically referring to the subject of Tashmisha Mita, which we'll see in a second. Tinok, when it comes to children, and when it comes to Isha. Tesemol, Doha, Veyamin, Mekarevet. All these three items, the policy should be push away with the left, but bring with the right. For example, Tashmisha Mita. If a person is not going to have Tashmisha Mita at all, and he's going to become such a Hasid where he's going to push it away with the right hand, he's not going to have children. And therefore, well, a person has to know that he has to limit his relations and tashmish and ta'aba and things like that, but he shouldn't push it away too strong. Because without it, you're not going to have a population. So therefore, when it comes to uh, uh, the first time, which is yetzer, the yetzer of tashmish, you have to push it away, but bring it with your right in order that you'll populate the world. Look at that she on the top line. That she is on the second column. Second line. Yetzer Right? Don't abandon Don't be too strict on the children. Because if the father's the mother's too strict on the child and push the child away, the child will go and commit suicide. The Isha Afi 
If a husband is too strict on the wife, the wife will go to Tarbut after she'll get into trouble, she'll go with other people, and she'll get into bad society. So these three items over there, there has to be a certain measure of tolerance. Comes the next Mishnah, and it continues to discuss the laws of Aigla Arufa. Comes the Gemara begins. Nimsa Haoreg Adchelon Ne'irfa Aigla. Okay, what happened? They found a dead body between two cities. Like we learned, they don't know who uh, killed them. And if they start doing the measuring, and they start bringing in a glarufa, <coughs> what would happen? Let's say they found the murderer before they actually decapitated the glarufa. So the Gemara says, Let it go right back into the flock, into the herd, which means it does not have kedusha. Which means, even though they designated for Eglarufa, until they actually decapitated, does not have Kiddushah, and therefore it's considered Chulin, therefore it goes right back into the barn. Which means you're allowed to even have Hana'ah from it. Comes the Gemara and says, But once, let's say, they actually decapitated, then they found the murderer. You have to bury it in its place like the regular law. Why? Which means the purpose of the Eglarufa, why is it brought to Sefik? You don't know who the murderer is. At the time that they decapitated it, it was a Sefik. They didn't know who it was. And it served its purpose. Even though you found out later who the guy was, at the time that the Eglarufa was done, it was ala sefik, and the, 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 the kapara was done for the sefik, therefore it's considered legitimate, therefore you bury it in its place, like a regular one. Let's say they actually decapitated the egla arufa, then they found the murderer, you kill him, you kill the murderer, which you don't think once you brought the egla arufa, it's kapara for him. Nah. Which is, once they find the murder, and of course there's witnesses, and they warn them, and it's according to all the halakhot, the law is he has to die as well. I mean, he does not mechaper for the actual act. Comes again what says. Now we discuss different cases of testimony. These cases should be familiar, we learned them earlier. In the Masechet comes the Gemara and says Mishnah. Ed had Omer Raiti Taureg. One witness comes along and says, "I saw the murderer. I saw the guy uh, who murdered this uh, dead guy." Ed had Omer Lo Raita. Another witness comes along and contradicts and says, "You didn't see." So it's one against one. Now Isha Omer Raiti. One lady comes along and says, "I saw." I saw the murderer. Visha omer it lorait. And then another lady comes along and says, you didn't see. Hayu orfin. In both these cases over there, it's one against one, so the testimonies are neutralized, and therefore the agla arufa is brought. Edehad omer raiti. One witness says, I saw the murderer. Now again, once, once, once they know the murderer, then it's no agla arufa, because they know who did it. So it says, one witness comes along and says, I saw. Ushnaim omrim lorait. But two witnesses come along and say, you didn't see. Hayu orfin. So in that case over there, the two are obviously able to negate the one, and therefore they would bring the Agdarufa. Two come along and say, we saw the murderer. And one guy comes along and says, you did not see. Because against two against one, 
The two come along and say, we saw the murderer. The one cannot negate the two, and therefore they would not bring Egla Arufa. Comes the Mishnah, when the world became filled with murder and murderers, Batla Egla Arufa. The law of Egla Arufa became nullified. Why? Because Mishiba. Eliezer ben Dinai, there was a famous known murderer called Eliezer ben Dinai. Utchina ben Perisha, they also referred to him as Tchina ben Perisha. Hazru lekroto, eventually they ended up calling him Ben Haratzhan, right? The son of the murderer, which means Eliezer ben Dinai was a notorious murderer in the times of the Mishnah. And therefore, he changed his name, because he wanted to cover up his uh, identity over there. So therefore, they referred to him as Ben Aratzhan. Everybody should know who the guy is. The purpose over here is, once already there were famous murderers, whenever there was a dead body, they knew it must have been this guy that did it. So therefore, the whole purpose of Eglah Arufa is what? You don't know who did it. But when there was famous murderers around, so then everybody knew it's got to be one of these murderers. <clears throat> and therefore, Eglah Arufa was not brought anymore. Comes the Gemara and says, When adultery became commonplace, they stopped giving the waters for the Sultan to drink. Uh, and what's the reason over there? Because we learned if the husband is not faithful, so then the waters do not work on the wife. So there was no purpose to erase uh, the shame as shame when they knew already that no law, it's not going to work because the husband's fooling around as well. And not only that, but they didn't want our people to start to cast aspersions on the water. If people are going to drink the water, nothing's going to happen. Right. So people say, oh, the waters don't work. So the rabbi said, for now on, there's no more water. And again, it was a Mi'ohanan action that was, that was the one that stopped the drinking of the waters. I will not remember or I will not uh, test your daughters. When they commit znut afna on your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, kihem the pasuk says which means they are going to because they are going with zonot, which means their husbands are going with zonot as well, and therefore uh, their waters are not going. So it's Rabbi Hanan that actually stopped that procedure. Good. Comes the Gemma Mishnah continues. Mishemet Yosef ben Yoazer, Ish Sereda, Yosef ben Yehuda, Ish Rushalayim, Batlu Ashkolot. When these two rabbis passed away, so the Ashkolot went with them. Now, Ashkolot is Ish Ashkol, that means Isha Kolbo. These are the rabbis that had all the wisdom in Chokhmat uh, Emet with them, and they did not have any forgetting. There was no shikha. She's until this time there was no machloket be Israel. Everybody had good memories, and therefore everybody knew exactly what the rabbi said and knew the logic. After these rabbis, then machloket began in Klayis. Until this time of Yosef ben Yohanan, Yosef ben Yohanan, everybody agreed on everything. There was only a few machlokot in Yisrael, like the Gemara Hagigah says, that initially, Betchamayim Betelelo, Hillel, it's only argued on three subjects. However, over the course of time, people started to forget, 
So then the machlokot started to become rampant in Klai. He says, so matlua ashkolot, those people that had, you know, kolat Torah, kolat in their mind with great, impeccable memories, it stopped after that generation. in There's no clusters to eat. He says, the fellow says, I'm interested in eating a, a ripe fig. But I can't find it. There was no nobody with those minds anymore uh, in that time. He did away with Hodayat Ma'asir. We know in the fourth year, the Torah comes along and says a person must come along in front of the Quran and he must make a declaration that he gave all his Ma'asrat correctly. Actually, in the third year he does that, which means he has to come along and say, I gave my Terumah to the Quran and I gave my Ma'asir Rishon to the Levi, and I gave my Ma'asir Sheni, I brought it to Rishon and Erit, and I gave my Ma'asir Ani to the Anim. That's called Vidui uh, Ma'asir. However, Yohanan Kohen Gadol will see why, but he did away with this declaration of confessing and declaring that you gave your Ma'asrot. And he also did away with the Me'orerin, which we'll see what that is, and he did away with the Nukfin. Ad until his time at Yohanan Kohen Gadol, the hammer, the anvil was banging in the blacksmith's, uh, blacksmith's uh, uh, um, uh, place on says that on Cholamu'id you're allowed to do work if it's considered Davara Avid. So therefore they were banging, I guess it seems these blacksmiths over here needed to work, so they were banging on their anvils uh, with the, the metal, making a lot of noise, which was mutar. However, there was marit ayin, because the, the banging was heard from the far off places, so what he did was this, ubi amav, uh, sorry, so therefore he stopped it. Why did he stop it? Because he felt that the people far away can hear the anvil bang, they're not going to know it's davara avid, they're not going to know that davara means there's a loss, if it's a monetary loss, it's permissible to work on khulam so look at that she on the top line, right column. It was a monetary Even if it's a monetary loss, no banging. Why? Because the sounds are heard from far. Not everybody's going to know it's the Vara Aved, and therefore they're going to come to work on Cholamorid. Lastly, the Mishnah Subiyamav, and Sarikh Lishol, Aladimai, which means before his time, the law was if a person bought fruit from a uh, Amaris, since the law is Rov Amaris Me'asin, and the majority of Amaris. <laughs> would take Ma'asir, he didn't have to ask any questions, you could take it from the Ma'aris uh, uh, and you could rely on Rov. However, if a guy wanted to be a Hasid, he wanted to be Mahmid, he would ask the Ma'aris, didn't you take uh, Ma'asot or not? And uh, whatever he said, you could trust him. However, once Yohanan's time came, nobody had to ask any more questions. Anymore. Even the Hasid, because he had to take Ma'asir, which means he, did the, he changed the law and said, for now on, even though there's a Rov, but for now on, they made the law of demai that when you buy food from an amaz, don't even ask him questions. You've got to take the ma'asrot again. So that's what Mishnah says. You don't have to ask any questions anymore. Which is even if you want to be mahmir, it doesn't matter. Don't ask. Just, just take the ma'asrot again. Look at that she. <coughs> Fourth line. Because he made it anybody that takes from an amaz has to take Ma'asir anyway. So when he asks you questions, doesn't better ask questions, just take Ma'asir again. Comes to Gibran and says, Tanur Banan. 
מנין שאם נענפה העגלה ועקק נמסה ההורג? שאין פותר את אותו, כהר היא נורת, היא פעם מרדרה, אפרי דקפטרי דעגלה ערופה, כהרי תוסף מכפר על הם, והר היא נורת צלת כפה, היא דעיז איניווי, שסס תמוד אמרנו, סטורה סס ולארץ לא יכופר לאדם אשר שופך בה the ground that swallows the blood of the victim is not going to atone unless only with the blood of the murderer which is the blood of the murderer has to be spilled in order to atone for the blood of the victim the ground is not going to atone for the spilled blood except only with the blood of the spiller. That means he's going to ask to die. <coughs> okay, now we go into a certain sugya that we actually had on a, a previous uh, Amud. Uh, let's go to the sugya. Okay, Okay, what happened? You have one witness comes along and says, I saw the Horeg. I saw the uh, murderer. And then we said, then one guy comes along and says, I didn't see. So it's one against one. So what do we say one against one? Lo ayu... Sorry, one against one. Ayu orfim. They did the Agla Arufa. Good. Comes again and says, Ta'amad mechishna. It's only because the second guy contradicted. So once the second guy contradicted, again, get the case clear again. One witness comes along, I saw the murderer. I saw the murderer, there's no Agla Arufa. Another guy comes along and says, you didn't see the murderer. So it's one against one. Neutralized. They bring the Agla Arufa. So the Gemara says, only because he was neutralized. But Mazma, if one witness comes alone, and comes along and says, I saw the murderer, you're going to believe him. That, and he's not going to be an Egla Arufa, when he's only one witness. How do you believe one witness? So comes the Gemara and says, Ta'amad machishle, halo machishle, ed ehad mehman. Which is, we're learning a Bikhadush, that one witness is going to be believed by Egla Arufa. Even though normally you need two witnesses, but we have a special gazetta two that one witness can believe. How do you know the Torah Rabbanan lo noda mihikau? Torah says when is there an egla arufa when nobody knows who the murderer is? Ha noda mihikau. But if somebody knows, afilu ehad besofah. I mean, if one guy at the end of the world, no, are you orphan? Good. So it comes to Gemara and says, Let's say a case like this. They saw a guy kill somebody. But they didn't see him. They just saw the murderer take place. They know the guy got killed by somebody. They cannot identify who the guy is. How do you know that there was no Eglarufa in that case? Right, part of the testimony is, we didn't see. Well, they saw. Well, even though they can't identify, but they didn't see the guy. So therefore, there's no Eglaru find that case over there. So comes the Gemara and says, a very, very important question. We have a very famous rule of Ula. Ula says like this, any place where the Torah believes one witness, like in the case of Egla Arufa, so one witness has the status of two. And therefore we have a law that's going to say that when, for example, it's like a regular case, when two witnesses come and testify, and then one guy contradicts them, that one guy is worthless. You never take one witness against two witnesses. So therefore in this case of here, Ehad comes along and says what? I saw the murder. Good, so he's like two. So therefore, why do you believe the second guy that when he comes along and says, no, you didn't see? Hey, you only won. 
And therefore they should not bring Agla Arufa. Why does the Mishnah say if it's one against one, they bring it? I mean, they both they neutralize each other, they should neutralize. The second witness is considered one against one, but the first witness really has a status of two. So therefore, why should it be that they bring Agla Arufa? Adrabah, we should believe the first witness has a status of two. That's Gibraltar's question, a very, very important question. Gibraltar's Amalek Aula, you're right. Change the text of the Mishnah. In the first case, one against one, because the first guy is a dean of two, and he's being challenged by one, it's, 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 it's two against one, and therefore, change the text of the Mishnah. That's the way to be Yitzhak, as well as Ula learns. That don't change the Mishnah. Keep it, how you orfin? How could that be? Which means, how do you believe the second witness to knock out the first witness? The first witness has a dean of two. Like we learned previously in the Masechet. Which means, it depends how they came. If they came simultaneously. That means when the first witness came, he says, I saw the murderer, and within a few seconds, the other witness comes on and says, you didn't see it. So he's knocked out. Because his, his testimony didn't even have a chance to be accepted. So that's considered uh, So even the first witness can get knocked out by the second witness. I, when do you say that he's accepted? When it's When the first witness comes on and says, I saw the guy do it. He's accepted. Finished. And nobody challenged him. Then the ten minutes later, the one witness comes on and says, hey, he didn't see anything. Too late. We're accepted. So therefore, that's the way that Khayyam wants to give the Hiluk, whether it's Vatachat or Zeacharzeh. Comes again, what says, Tenam, we're going to ask a question against Khayyam. Tenam. Let's get the case code. One witness comes and says, I saw the murderer. Okay? Two guys come along and say, You didn't see. Because what do we say? We believe the two guys. It's the two guys that say, uh, You didn't see. And therefore, you bring the Aglarufa. So the Gabbana makes you the yuk. That's only because there's one and then two. Ha, had, ve, had, lo, ayu, orfin. It's master only because two contradicted the one. Right? When two contradict the one, then you'll bring the Egla Arufa. But it's master if one contradicted the one, then you would not bring the Egla Arufa. Now the Chaurah, if the case is told where they came simultaneously, it's going to be a question against Rabbi Hayah. Again, according to Rabbi Hayah, when one guy comes and another guy comes, and they come into Bevatahat, what's the law? They neutralize each other, and therefore they bring Egla Arufa. But from the Mishnah, it's Masma, only because two knocked out the one. That's why you bring the Egla Arufa. Masma, if one knocked out uh, the one, and that goes against according to what the Fiyah said. So therefore, Again, understand the question again. The question of the Gemara is as follows. When you have one witness, get the case good. One witness comes along and says, I saw the murderer. Two witnesses come along and say, You didn't see. So what's the deen? They bring Jag the Arufa. Why? Because we believe the two witnesses. Two witnesses coming and telling the guy, you didn't see. Good. Mashma. Now we're making a diuk now. Only because two witnesses came along and knocked out the one witness. However, if it was one witness that came and knocked out the one witness, so then already, lo ayu orfin. Now, according to the Fahyah, that's not so. Because if they came simultaneously, one against one, we say they negate each other. And you do bring. So therefore, the diuk the, the from the case of one and two, that diuk of 
One and two, hayu orfin. Mashma, one and one, it's mashma, lo hayu orfin. That's a question against Rabbi because he said that when they come simultaneously, they negate each other. So Rabbi Chaya comes and says, hey, not so fast. Vilitamech, emasefa. According to your logic, I'll ask you a question from the sefa of the Mishnah. Shinayim omrim ra'inu. Ve'ed echad omer lo re'item. Okay, let's get to that, let's get that case. It's two and one, this case. Two come along and say, we saw. We saw the murderer. One guy comes along and says, you didn't say. So what's the deal in that case? You believe the two. And therefore, do I you orphan? So we make a diuk. Ha, had ve had, are you orphan? Mashma only because it was two and then one. That's why you would bring the, uh, that's why you don't bring. Mashma if it was one against one, you would bring. Ah, so therefore that's a question against Ula. Uh, because Ula said one and one is like two and one. Because the first guys believe like two, and therefore, Lo ayu orfin. Mashma, but however, from Amishma, it's Mashma, yes, orfin. Again, I ask a question, which means that Rafiya is saying, You're asking me, uh, let me crystallize like this. There's three cases in the Mishnah one against one, one against two, two against one. Crystallize the three cases in the Mishnah. We'll tell it to you all over again now, so you have a clarity. Get the three cases in the Mishnah one against one, one against two, two against one. Okay, beautiful. So the Gemara starts off and says like this. Gemara starts off and says like this. Whenever the Torah says you believe one witness, that witness is like two witnesses. So therefore, the one against one is really like two against one. And therefore, Ulas says as a result of that, in the first case, the Mishnah have to change the text of the Mishnah. Two against one, no ayu orfin. There's no eglal because they saw the murder. Beautiful. Comes of Hayyan says, No, no, don't change anything. One against one, Lo Ayu Orfin. I'm sorry, one against one, they they the border. Well, they neutralized each other. Why? Because they came to Batahat. So the first one wasn't accepted, since so they came to Batahat, they neutralized each other, therefore you start from square one, and therefore you bring the Agla Alfa. Comes the Gibran says, What are you talking about? There's a question from you from a Diuk. The Duke of which case? The case of one and then two. Which was the second case in the Mishnah. The diuk of case two, get the skeleton. The diuk of case two is questionable on Avhiya, and the diuk of case three is questionable to Ula. Jeez, they pose the question to Avhiya on the diuk of case two. Hey, Kadul, you asked me from case two, I'll ask on you. You have a problem from the diuk on case number three. Now let's speak out the, the questions. What's case number two in the Mishnah? One against two. One guy says we saw the uh, murderer. Two guys come along and say we didn't see. What's the law? You believe the two. And therefore you didn't see, therefore you have to bring Egla Arufa. Good? Mashma, you only bring Egla Arufa because it was one against two. But if it was one against one, lo ayu orfin. Whereas according to Rabhiya, one against one, when they come simultaneously, yeah orfin. So the yuk of case number two is a question of Hayya. So Rabhiya says thank you very much. But the the yuk of case number three is questionable on you, Ula. Why? What's the case three? Two witnesses come along and say, we saw the murderer. One witness comes along and says, you didn't see. You believe the two. And therefore, lo are you orfin. Mashma, one against one, yay orfin. Whereas according to Ula, one against one, lo are you orfin, because you believe the one guy. So therefore, the duke of case number three is questionable as well. Based on that, the Fayyaz theory is you got to learn the Mishnah, forget about the Diyukim and all that. The Mishnah is coming to teach you a separate Hiddush. Don't make any Diyukim from the Mishnah. What's the Hiddush of the Mishnah? 
Our Mishnah is talking about another case where we're talking about the witnesses that came were Pasul witnesses. Don't make any diyukim, but you're going to question on me and question on you. Each one has their respective shita, but the case number two and three in the Mishnah are teaching you something totally different. When Pasul witnesses came and testified, what was the Hadush? He says, any time the Torah believes one witness, like in this case of Igla Arufa, now one witness normally is an Eid Pasul. In other testimonies, one witness is nothing. That's normally a Pasul Eidut, right or wrong. One witness is normally not accepted. Once already you see the Torah is going to believe one witness, for example, in this case over here. So the Hadush over here is that you see the Torah accepts Pesulim. Therefore, we're going to make, let's say if you have, let's say you have two ladies against one man, it's going to be no different than two men against one man. Let's discuss if you have two men against one man. Who do you believe? Two men. So in Pesulim as well, once the Torah says you believe Pesulim, now you have two ladies against one man, you'll believe the two ladies. Again, once you see the Torah is lenient, in a case you can, only, you can even believe one witness, so now already I go, count, I count heads. I don't care who they are, the witnesses, even if they're Pasul, I go with numbers. Therefore, even two ladies will be able to overpower one man. Which is, that's a, that's a hadush. Normally, two ladies are pesulim. I don't give a thousand ladies. It's the last ladies is a pesulim hadush. But since you see that in Agnar Ufa, the Torah accepts one witness, so you see the Torah accepts pesulim, so therefore you're going to treat two ladies against one man like two men against one man. Okay, now. And what does that do for us? Oh, so now we go like this. We have to explain taste number two and three. You know what case number two is? One witness came along and said, What? I saw the murderer. He was a man. One man. I saw the murderer. Two ladies came along and said, You didn't see. You believe the ladies. It's two ladies against one man. And since Ed the Hadith believed in this case, so therefore two ladies, therefore they're able to negate. And therefore, you bring the Agla Case number three is, Two ladies uh, come along and say, we saw one man comes along and says, you didn't see, again you believe the two ladies, and that can, you do not bring Igla Arufa. So the Hadush of the Mishnah is, that when Pesulim come and testify, and they're being challenged by one man, you believe the Pesulim. Case number two again is, one man, two ladies. Case number three, two ladies, one man. Both cases you believe the ladies. Why? Hadush. Even though they're going against the man. Doesn't matter. Since we had the Han Iman of the Hamyaz rule is, you always go with the majority of people. That's one way of learning, but there's another way of learning. Listen, you can never take away the value of a testimony of a man over a lady. Which means if a man comes and testifies first, he gets there first to Betin. He's believed like two witnesses, and therefore even if a thousand ladies come along, they're considered like one. 
different way of looking at it. Which means, you don't just count heads. Right. It depends who came first. If the man came first, and he's accepted already as two, since he's a man, he has considered two, and therefore no matter how many ladies come after, you believe the testimony of the, of the man. Also, oh, what's the case over here? The case of our Mishnah is talking about over here where the lady came first, and she came along and let's say, the lady came first and said, I know who the murderer is. Wait, you got to give the two cases of the Mishnah, case number two and case number three. The first case where the lady came first and said, I know who the murderer is. And then what? Two men came along and said what? They, they challenged her. And therefore what? Who are you going to believe in that case? So this is one lady and then two men. So the two men are going to have the ability to negate the testimony of the one lady. And the third case in the Mishnah is going to be what? Where you have two ladies that come along and say, we saw. And then one man comes along and challenges. So you're going to believe the ladies in that case. Which according to this interpretation, you have to learn of the Hamya like this. Whenever the Torah believes one witness, you go after the majority of opinions, like this. Uh, you only reckon with the ought when everybody's pasul. Two ladies against one lady, then you go with the two ladies. However, which is two ladies against one lady will be like two men against one man. Then you just go with the ought. But when you have two ladies that go against one man that came first, that's already 50-50, which means it's, it's like a one witness that's coming to be Mahish, the Ed Kashir, which means, let's speak it out, let's speak like this. Let's speak out the, uh, the Nafkamina. Which means, according to this understanding, the Gemara is saying like this. That which the Nehamya said, there's a Kula when you believe Pisulei Edut, when you believe Edechad, that kula means like this. Wherever the Torah believes one witness, we're going to go after the majority of heads when everybody's pasu. Two ladies against one lady, you go after the two ladies. However, if you're going to have a kashir in the mix, for example, if the man is going to come first, right? Let's say a man comes, now we say, well, if a man comes first, he's believed like two. Once he's believed like two, so now already he's accepted. Now, even if a thousand or hundred ladies come along, they're only going to have a status of one. And therefore, you don't accept one witness in the, in the presence of two witnesses that were already accepted. Well, we're talking in the case of Amishnah, case number two was what? You have one man that came along and... It's one and two. You have one... Right. A lady came... First, okay, she's one lady, and then what? Or or pasul over there, and then she comes along and says what? I know who the murderer is, and then two men come along and negate it. Okay, so that case over there, what are you going to do? You go after the majority of uh, the ot. Who's the majority of the men? And therefore, you're going to believe the men, and therefore they negate the one, and therefore you bring the igla arufa. Case number three in the Mishnah talking about where you have two ladies that come along and testify that we says we know the identity of the murderer, and one man comes along and says you don't, we don't, you don't know. So in that case over there you believe the ladies because over there the ladies over here uh, in this third case ladies came first. So they believe. However, if the man came first, 
even though he was negated by many ladies, doesn't matter. He is accepted in his testimony of Virginia. That's what the Gemara says. Because again, what, the, the point of Rebbe Chaya is because he's a kasher. A, a, a man is normally a kasher witness. So when he comes first, he's accepted like two. There's nothing stronger in the world than two witnesses, two male witnesses. So, 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 what do you, so what's the kula that we're going to say over here? The kula that we're going to say over here is that when ladies come first, followed by a man, so therefore, even though a man is challenging, you'll accept the testimony of the two ladies. However, it's like 50-50, which means it's like there's one witness that's coming to uh, challenge the Ed Kasher. Oh, so now the Gibraltar's question is like this. Then I'm going to review this one more time, and then uh, we'll finish. But I just want to review, say the question now like this. Vetati edut lamali. Comes out, case number two and three are redundant. Because bottom line, you have a case of one and two, and two and one. And what's the law on both of them? You go after the majority of witnesses. Even though they are pasu. Basically, you teach me the same thing. Twice. So comes the Gibraltar and says, No, I'll tell you why. Maudetema ki azina batarov deot lechumra. You might have thought that when you go after the majority of Pasul witnesses, only when it's a stringency. For example, in case number two, to bring in a Glarufa. However, in case number three, the law is you don't bring in a Glarufa. That's a Kula. So you might have thought that you don't go after Pasul witnesses, the Kula, Kamashman, you go even the Kula. So let's review now outside the Sugya, which just took place over here. Basically, in the Mishnah, you have three cases one, 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 two, two, one. So Gebarah's question started off on case number one, one, one. The deen of the Mishnah was, one against one, you bring the Agdar Ufa. Oh, what do you mean? Oda said, the first guy's believed like two. He should be accepted. So he says, you know what? You're right. Change the Mishnah. The Mishnah just say, Lo, are you orfin? Not so fast. Keep the Mishnah in order. We're talking about the case where they came uh, separately. Since they came separately, the first witness was... Uh, if they came separately, the first witness was accepted. But Amishnah's case, they came simultaneously. And therefore the first witness was never accepted, and therefore he's knocked out by the second witness. Therefore you start from the square one, and therefore you bring a Glarufa. Good. Now, the Gibra then said, question from Diyuk on case number two against Rebhaya. Question on case number three from Diyuk against Ula. Came Rebhaya said, you know what? Learn case number two and three, not in a normal case. The Hidush of case number two and three is for the case of Pisulim. Oh, following a dictum of Rebhaya Hamya. What's Rebhaya Hamya's rule? Rabbi Hayyah said a rule like this. Anytime the Torah believes one ayat, so therefore you make, uh, you go after Rav De'ot. You go after majority of opinions. Now majority of opinions, there's two ways to learn majority of opinions. The first way to learn majority of opinions, no matter who came first, no matter who it is, I don't care, Pasul, Kashir, which means you take two ladies against uh, uh, one man, just like two men against one man. You just count them up. And therefore, according to that, the case of the Mishnah is very simple. Case number two is talking about one and two. Which means you have one man came, even though he came first. According to the first way of learning, two ladies contradicted him, you believe the two ladies. Case number three, two ladies came along against one man, you go after the two ladies. So first shita is, count them up, I don't care who came first. Since already we're accepting one witness as two, you always go with the other. Second shita is uh, not so fast. Which means, I'll accept pisulim when they're all pisulim, that's of course, or when the pisulim came first. So therefore, case number two in the Mishnah is about where one, uh, 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 one man came, and he was contradicted by, uh, I'm sorry, one lady came, 
and he was contradicted by two uh, men. So therefore, you can believe the two men. One lady, two men. You believe the two men, and therefore they're able to negate the first witness. So when you go after the Ovdeot. Or case number three, the Mishnah about two ladies came, they're contradicted by one man. But if one man came first, according to the Shita, he is accepted as testimony. Therefore, even if a hundred come along, they're just like one, and therefore uh, uh, the first one is uh, is uh, accepted. Oh, what do you need two cases for? One, two, two, one. To teach me, Ben the Khumra, Ben the Kula, you go with Rov, they ought by Pisu, which is a big Hadush anyway. No matter how you learn the Hadush of this point in the Gemara is that you accept Pisulim. Who, maybe I say, lady, cannot be accepted at all. Well, maybe a pasu cannot be accepted at all. Kamash, no, no, Once already you see the Torah weakened its restrictions, even let one witness get through. So therefore, once already you see one witness, they even accept pisulim. Oh, but now the question is, how do you measure the pisulim? So the first Shita says, once pisulim are accepted, everybody's equal. Man, lady, just count them up. Who, I don't care who came first, who didn't come first, who, how many got on this, how many got on that side? But she, the second says, no, no, no. A man always has more power if he came first. Masha'ikin, if the ladies came first, so then already you would count two ladies against uh, one man, or one man, or one lady against uh, two men. Uh, the two men will obviously, in that case, uh, override. Okay, that is the case of the Mishnah. The Gemara continues. Quote from the Mishnah. Mesherabu arotzchim batla'ig la'arufah. Right, that one the, uh, was a proliferation of murderers, so then they're ready, they did away with the Arufas, because it goes, Tarubanan, Mishadabu Aratzhan, Rotzhanim, Batagla Rufa Lefi, Shenaba Elasafik. Because you only bring Agla Rufa when you don't know who the murderer was, but there was when there was a band uh, of murderers, so everybody knew who they were, so therefore they did away with Agla Rufa. Mishadabu Aratzhanim, Begalui, Batla. Uh, because since it only because since it only comes on safek and now you know who did it so now you know who the people are but so therefore since it was noticeable who the murderers were so therefore they did away with the comes the we said in the Mishnah that when there was a proliferation of Nu'afim adulterers so they did away with the giving the water to the ladies to drink for the sota. So it says, Which means only when he is clean from sin, that the waters work on his wife. But if he's not clean of sin, let's say the husband committed adultery himself, so the waters are not going to work on his wife. And the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says that the waters will not work on your daughters in the event that they commit zinut because they themselves are going with zonot and therefore the waters will not work on the wives themselves. What is the bright need the second Pasuk? Which is what was the matter with the first reason? The first reason was that if the man is not clean from sin, so the water is not going to work on the lady. And therefore, why should we erase the uh, name of God for no reason? What do you need this Pasuk for? So comes the Gibran and says, avon in dibne uvidibnate lo, you might have thought that only when he is guilty of sin, the waters don't work on his wife. But what about his daughters? Let's say his sons and daughters, let's say, are guilty of adultery. So Hadush and the pasuk is going to tell, tell me that even if his children are guilty of adulterers, maybe the waters are not going to work on the mother. How do you know that? Because the pasuk says lo ifkod, which means the waters are not going to work on the wives. Why? 
Al benotechem kitiznena. Because your daughters are committing znut. Va'al kalotechem kitena afna. Which means even the znut of the daughters and the daughters-in-law are going to cause the waters not to work on the wife. Because the husband's guilty in that case as well. Why? Because he didn't rebuke his children. And if when he doesn't rebuke his children, his sin is considered his. So therefore he's not minukem avon if his family is committing this avon as well. Vechitem avon eshet ish in. Avon difnuyalo. Maybe you'll think only when they commit mamash adultery, meaning when they go with an adult or a married lady. How do you know that even if they go with a single lady, that the waters will not work on the wife? Which means they are going with zonot. That's the ladies that are designated for znut. Now when it says the word zonot, zonot is a prostitute, which is a single girl. Even if the husband goes with somebody that is single, not married, still that's considered znut enough that the waters will not work on the wife. And therefore the Gemara says, once already the znut became very, very common, so they stopped giving the waters to the wife to drink. Not only when the husband committed znut, but even if the children committed znut, and the husband not rebuked them, it's considered his avon as well. Comes the Gemara and says, the end of the pasuk over there that talks about the znut says, my ve'am lo yavin yilabet. Right? The, the nation, literally, does not understand yilabet. Yilabet, like, will we'll falter. Amar bil azar, amar lehem, nevid Israel. Im atem makpidim ala atzmechem. If you're going to be careful on yourselves not to commit znut, mayim bodkim neshotechem, then the waters will work on your wives. Ve'im lav, ena mayim bodkim neshotechem, then the waters are not going to work on your wives. I had to explain that pasuk. So explanation is like this. The people do not understand why don't the waters work. They're giving the, the wives the waters, but the people don't understand that uh, the waters are not working. And that's because they're committing znut. And when there's znut by the husbands, the waters don't work on the... Um, on the on the wives, so therefore, the, even though there was a, a lot of snoot being committed in Klai Sail, the waters would not work on the wives because the husbands were just as guilty. Right, that's the way the Master explains it over there. So the pasuk says, "Ha'am lo yavin." The nation does not understand why the waters are not working uh, on the uh, wives, and then it says over there. Lelabet, Lelabet is they're going to get a punishment. Comes the Gemara and says, Meshenabu ba'alehana'a. When the world became filled with ba'alehana'a, those are people that are seeking pleasures. Nita'avetu ad-dinim. So therefore all the laws of Torah became corrupted because everybody was involved in pleasures. They didn't want to study Torah the right way. So they weren't coming to the bottom line in the halakha because they were too busy seeking their pleasures. So all the dinim, all the laws became corrupted. Well, obviously, if the laws become corrupted, then the actions of the people become corrupted because they're doing the wrong, uh, the wrong halakhot. En ve'en noach ba'olam. Which means, Rashi explains over ve'en noach ba'olam. Let's read the Rashi. It is in the first uh, column. The Dibura Matheel is Haddinim. The Metok Shem Ba'alehana. Since they're going after their pleasures, and Matrihin Asmam Na'ayin Bidin. So they're not going to toil themselves to study the deen the right way. Ubisur Vetil Leorot the Sibur, to give them the right Alachot to the Sibur. Umetok Kach, Yetkal Kedu Ma'asehem. Well, the deeds of the people obviously became corrupted as a result of that. Therefore, God does not have any more pleasure in such a world. Nor do they have pleasure in God. 
What does that mean? Which means since now they're not fulfilling the Torah, God has to punish the world. So just like God does not have pleasure in such a world, the world does not have pleasure in God anymore because they're not receiving the bounty, the blessing of God. The blessing only comes out when the Torah is being studied correctly. And therefore the world is not Noah Takadosh Baruchu because it's not receiving the Beracha as a result of the corruption of the Halachot. Comes the Gemaran continues. Meshirabu Ro'e Panim Badim. When there became a uh, corruption in judges that were f- showing favoritism to uh, the litigants in judgment, Batel Lotaguru Upasak Lotakiru. These two laws that says Lotaguru Mepeneish, that the judge is not allowed to be afraid of any of the litigants, and the law that says Lotakiru is not allowed to show favoritism in judgment, those laws went out the window. Those laws were nullified. Uparku Ol Shamayim. And as a result of it, People now, through the yoke of heaven, off of them, so instead of going to Betin, because the Betin became corrupt, they started to go to Arkaot. Arkaot is the secular courts. That caused that to happen. Does she? No, no, does she? Comes says, which means when these literally the uh, the ones that were uh, hissing or whispering, what were they doing? That at the time of the judgment, um, the lawyers, so to speak, would go to the judges and whisper in their ears and uh, you know give them a certain, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, Let's read the Rashi's way he says it. Orchad Dayanim is the lawyers. They converse with the judges. They already tell the judges why this guy should be innocent and the other guy should be guilty. But it's corrupt. They're just like uh, tainting the judges' uh, view of the case. Much anger was brought down by God unto the Jewish people, because when there is a tilt in judgment, that causes God to get angry. And the Shekhinah abandons the Jewish people. The full pasuk is, Elohim nisab ba'adatel. God rests with the judges. The judges rule in the midst of God. And therefore, when there's corruption, so God leaves the courtroom, and therefore, it causes the Shekhinah to leave Yisrael. When the uh, proliferation of uh, people in the world that were far going after money, after their pleasures, so what happened? Many people started to say, They started calling evil good and good evil, which means... So they were going after false flattery now, and they're going after their pleasures, so the judges didn't want to, you know, call upon a bad guy and say that he's bad, so they were calling the bad guy good and the good guy bad, and it was, it was again uh, corruption. And once that happened, then the woes started to become many in the world, like the Prophet said. Uh, when the people uh, started to spit, now, in the olden days they used to spit, but they, now these people are very fancy people, like very haughty, they would spit very far. You know, like, you know, long, long range uh, spitting. It was a way of ga'ba. As a result of that, rabbu ayyihidin. That caused the people to become arrogant, especially if they're doing it in front of people. It's disgusting, and they're doing it in front of people. And what? Vinit ma'atu 
As a result, fewer students came out because where there's gava, Torah cannot rest in a place where there's gava. But Torah and the Torah is looking for, for, for somebody to learn it. The Torah now became abandoned. Now what ended up happening? Now once arrogance became uh, proliferated, so the Jewish girls had no choice. They started marrying the arrogant uh, boys. Because at that time, the uh, generation was only looking superficially. And superficially, the arrogant guy looks like he's successful. He's like he's a Hashub guy. You know, he has to look, he's popular, he's successful, but he's gay. So the girls were only looking superficially, and they were marrying the game, and the uh, troubles were coming to the world. So the Gabbara says, Eni, do we really think that an arrogant person is attractive? A person that has arrogance, even his own family can't tolerate him. So therefore, he's not attractive to a girl to get married. Geber Yahir, an arrogant man, lo ve lo yinve. So the Gemara says, what is lo yinve? Lo yinve afilu banavishelo. Even in his own abode, he's not going to be accepted. Even in his own house. So if I can tell me that the girls were attracted to these arrogant people to get married to them, Gemara says, meikara kafsa ali. Initially, they jumped on them to get married. However, lesof mitazil alai. But after they're married for a little while, they see the arrogance. Therefore, they become cheapened. In their eyes, which is eventually it becomes disgusting even to the wife, the arrogance of the husband. Which means, these are the tabidahamim, or the judges, that were giving uh, some of their wares to businessmen in order to make business for them. And they were giving them some merchandise, the businessmen would go out, make a profit, give it back to the rabbi. So now there was already business going on between the rabbis and the, and the businessmen. What ended up happening? Rabbi Shohad. So now already it was Shohad, because now if you're in partners with a Baalabite, how could you judge him now? So that was already like a bribery. Hatayav, hatayav mishpat. And the judgments now became tilted. And what? Upaska toba. And now the Berachah started coming down to the world, because when there's a corruption of judgment, so there's a lack of Berachah. And once there was a partnership between the businessman and the rabbi, monetarily, so that already started to lead to a perversion of judgment. Mishrabu mekabli tovatcha. Which means, when the generation started to have the attitude is that what? That you do me a favor and I'll reciprocate back and do you a favor back. When that started to happen, which means the judges were receiving favors. Now normally if a judge received a favor, he didn't, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't reciprocate because you can't reciprocate because you're a judge. But when it became like, you know, you do me a favor, I'll pay you back. And that was the type of relationship that the judges started to have. What ended up happening? So now each person did what he wants because he knows he's not scared of the judge because the judge is on the take and therefore he also wants. So therefore nobody was scared of any uh, any judgment over there. And what? Shefali mukbau vagiboim mushpalu. The low ones became high and the high ones became low because now there was no fear of the gedolim on the ketanim. There was no fear of anybody. And therefore, you couldn't tell the difference between who's high and who's low. Even the corrupt people now were accepted. And the kingdom of Israel started to go down and deteriorate. When there was a proliferation of misers, that's sarayin. They don't want to give other people from their money. That's thieves. Rabu me'amseh live. So now people came very stingy and did not want to have mercy on the anim. Their hearts became hardened. And people stopped lending each other money. 
transgressed what the Torah says is and I'll read you the whole pasuk. God forbid it's a sin from the Torah for a person to come along and say that he's not want to lend somebody money because he's worried that the Shemitah might come and cancel the debt. And therefore when the Kamsanim or when the Tzariyayim started to become more popular, that caused people to stop wanting to lend money. Mesherabu nituyot garon umsakerot ainayim. When the ladies started to walk nituyot garon with their head high, when the ladies started to walk in the street arrogantly, nituyot garon, their 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 neck was lifted, and what sakerot they would put mascara or different types of makeup on their eyes, or they used to wink to the boys in order to attract them, what ended up happening? Now a lot of situations of drinking the waters of Sota came up because the ladies were becoming flirtatious. But it was a catch to do because since there was so much uh, immorality taking place, we just learned you can't give anybody to drink. Because we said that when there's a, a female over the place, the waters will not work. And therefore they did not erase God's name for no reason. When people started to receive gifts, so therefore the longevity, the lifespan of people started to go down. As well as the years. That what? That somebody that hates gifts will live. Now I once saw an interpretation that what does this mean? What does it mean that somebody takes gifts will live? So I once heard from uh, gifts. He hates gifts. Somebody hates gifts. I'm sorry. So I explained like this. A person is destined in Shamayim, how much money is he going to make in the year? Let's say he's going to make $100,000 a year, that's uh, for his food, for his shelter, and so on and so forth. Now somebody comes and gives him a $50,000 car. So that $50,000 car is taken off of his penetra that he's supposed to make. Now he's only left with 50000 Now he can't eat the car. And therefore it eats away from his primary penetra that he needs for necessities. And therefore, if he despises gifts, he'll live because now we'll get his panasa in the regular way and therefore we'll be able to, to sustain himself uh, on that. So the question was then asked when Avraham Abinu went to Misraim. Uh, so it says what? A paro gave him matanot and he accepted them. Oh, what happened to Sunay Matanot Yechayev? So it says those are the matanot. He did not keep those matanot. He gave those matanot to the children of Keturah. And that's why he took them in order that he could fulfill the mitzvah of Sunay Matanot Yechayev, which means. You can only fulfill a mitzvah like this if it comes to you. Which means, if a person never receives a gift, so he's not, he's not in the parashaf, so Avram wanted to add years to his life. So how do you add years to him? You take the gift, but you don't benefit from the gift. Now already it's in the sayon. Now already he passed the test. You know, if the gift never comes to him, so therefore it's not a challenge. So he took it, now already he had his struggles. Right? So I benefit or not, of course Avram didn't struggle. But the point is, now he's able to give it to somebody else, and therefore it caused them to have... Longer years comes to live, which means these are the arrogant ones that do not listen to their rabbis, but they rely on their own opinions. They do not consult or take their rabbi's opinion. Rabbu mahloket bi Israel. So what happened? Started to come great mahloket amongst the Jewish people. When the students of Shemayim that did not serve their rabbi, 
uh, all the need, which means serving the rabbi means they did not hear from their rabbi all the sevarot, all the logic of all the halachot. If they would have served their rabbis correctly, there would no, there'd be no mahlokit. But as a result, since they didn't serve their rabbis correctly, and they did not know the reasons for all the halachot, so they started to argue, and therefore... What happened? Rabbu Mahloket Bisev and Aset Torah Keshte Torot. God forbid the Torah became like two Torot. As we said earlier, Shammai and Hillel themselves only argued in three situations. But the students had many Mahlokot. Why? Because since they didn't serve their rabbis correctly and they did not know the reason behind the law, so therefore much arguments came out exactly, Mutar, Asud, and so on and so forth. Comes the Rashi and says, Zichuchei Halev. So all the way in the bottom and the left margin. Right, they don't listen good to the words of their rabbis. They rely on their own wisdom. Therefore, what ended up having made mistakes, and therefore comes Mahloket in Israel. When people started to accept charity from the Goyim, Hayu Yisrael Lema'la Vehem Lemata. Yisrael lefanim v'em nachor. It caused the goyim to be on high and the Jewish people down low. Yisrael lefanim v'em leachor, which is really the opposite. This is a sagin nachor gemara. When the gemara says ayu Yisrael lemala, it really means Yisrael lemata, but it doesn't want to say it, so it just says it in the reverse. The Jews were on top, which really means they were down low as a result, and they were in the front, but it really means they were behind. As she says on the bottom, Yisrael lefnim kinuihu. Kinui meaning it's a, uh, it's a power of phrase, but you have, to, you, have to, you have to reverse it. Why? Because when they were accepting money from the goyim, so the goyim had now a leverage over the Jewish people. Meshemet Yoseh ben Yo'ezer. We learned in the Mishnah that when Yoseh ben Yo'ezer Isredan, Yosef ben Yehuda, Ishlushtayim died, the Ashkolot died with them. What is Ashkolot? My Ashkolot, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, Ish She'akol Bo. These were the people that had the entire Torah etched in their brain, which means they did not forget. And therefore, there was no Machloket. Which is until that point, the Torah was remembered. But after that, already people started to forget. And therefore, mahlukot started to arise amongst the halakot. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen.